0: Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. You know, if you hear the name James McKeachin and you think about the acclaimed actor who starred in over 150 television programs and motion pictures, you would be correct, but I can't believe the story of Mr. James McKeachin's military service.
1: It's incredible how the whole thing comes back and you look... Back in a career where you work with John Wayne and Betty Davis and Defranco, uh, Clint Eastwood, and all that stuff, the most important thing is the biggest star of all was the military.
0: Well, okay, so we have the military career. Now we have the record producing <laughs> career. How do you uh-huh. go from record producer to actor?
1: One day, I'm walking down the street on Monroe's Boulevard. Guy comes up to me. And he kind of looks me up and down and says, he says his exact words. Ain't you an actor? And I said, no. He said, do you want to be an actor? And I said, no. In a special kind of way, they are still offering their all to say to us all. No veterans, no democracy. No democracy, no America. Happy Christmas Day, everybody.
2: Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised.
1: It's time, America.
2: Mr. and Mrs. North of South America, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright lock position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for.
0: in the mail when your bird is on the wire and your ass is in the jail when the river calls your name and you answer with a grin and you wrestle with the blame
3: when the lumber hits the skin and it's time to pay the tone let the truth waggle
0: It is Tuesday, November 11th, 2014, Veterans Day, episode 228. I'm Tom Gully, and on this episode of The Tom Gully Show, we are so thrilled and honored on this Veterans Day to speak with Mr. James McEachin. Because even though James McEachin has acted alongside Clint Eastwood, Betty Davis, and John Wayne, he lists his most important accomplishment as serving in the United States military. And Mr. McEachin served with distinction. During the Korean War, as a member of the United States Army, he was severely wounded, leading to the amazing story of his being awarded a Purple Heart and Silver Star some five decades later. And the even more spectacular tale behind his new film endeavor, entitled The Purple Heart, In fact, you'll even get to hear James McEachin read some passages from the screenplay. And suffice it to say, James McEachin still has major chops in the acting department. And yes, James McEachin will tell all about his television and motion picture career and his record-producing career, amongst other really great, really funny, really insightful stories. Our very special Veterans Day guest, proud veteran and acclaimed actor, James McEachin on this episode of the Tom Gully Show.
2: Before taking our usual trip to the green room, let's discuss three ways we can all help lengthen the war. Here they are. First, throw away all your extra equipment. Second, don't take care of the equipment and ordnance you have left. Third, waste your field rations. Only eat the parts you like. Well, that's only three ways. But if each and every man and woman in the service indulged in just those three consistently, V-Day would be a far cry indeed. Of course, no no one would act like that on purpose, but unfortunately, we all tend to treat G.I. materiel a little bit like a stepsister. And when you multiply your callousness and wastage a million or more times, it's no longer funny. So let's not help lengthen the war. Let's shorten it by conserving everything we have. Frazier! down goes Frasia down goes Frasia
0: You're listening to the Tom Gully show You know if you hear the name James McKeachin and you think about the acclaimed actor who starred in over 150 television programs and motion pictures you would be correct but you might also not know the amazing other careers this gentleman has had, including uh, quite a, just a, uh, just, a, I can't believe the story of Mr. James McEachin's military service, which will lead us to talking to a project near and dear to his heart, uh, The Purple Heart, a film he's getting launched himself. Sir, welcome. How are you today?
1: I'm fine, sir, and thank you for, uh, for calling to take the time out of what apparently is a, is a busy schedule to uh, to chat a bit.
0: Well, I'm not nearly as busy as you've been. Uh, if, if I had done all the things in my life that you have done, I would lay down for about 10 years and just take a rest. Uh, well,
1: makes make you a bar, Andy.
0: Yeah, I will do that. I will do that. Uh, can you tell us a, a little bit about something I know is very important to you and very, very near and dear to your heart, and that is your, your military service and the amazing decades-long tale of uh, how you came to be recognized for that service uh, in 2005.
1: Well, it is a a very long story. the, 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 The military is something when you're in it, you're dying to get out of it or fighting to get out of it and then vowing that you'll never wear khakis or anything brown or of an olive drab color again because you're so sick of the Army. But I found out as you get older, and I have gotten older, believe it or not, uh, that's all you think about is the military. It's just it's really, uh, it's incredible how the whole thing comes back, and you look back on a career where you worked with John Wayne and Betty Davis and you it, uh, Clint Eastwood and all that stuff. The most important thing is the biggest star of all was the military.
0: Right, right. Well, in your story, uh, you served in Korea, and uh, were wounded there, and uh, decades later are awarded a Silver Star and a Purple Heart yourself. Can you tell a little bit about how that happened, and was it a surprise to you uh, that this had occurred so many years after your service?
1: Well, what happened was that I, uh, uh, thanks to Congressman uh, David Dreyer, I was going down to do some sort of an interview show uh, about uh, people who served in the military, and I happen to mention the fact that I had been wounded and uh, a couple of other things, and I had never gotten the award. And uh, the, the Dryer's office, the Congressman David Dryer's office, went to work and found uh, that I had indeed earned uh, the, uh, the Silver Star. I didn't know it and I really don't think that I deserved it, to be honest about it, uh, To uh, because of uh, a patrol that we went on involving uh, our, uh, my platoon leader, who was uh, killed, by the um, uh, by, the enemy, the, the Chinese forces there in uh, North Korea, North Korea, and uh, but it was such a hard night that I put it on the back burner in my mind and tried not to visit it uh, again because it was just uh, I, I came so close, to, <coughs> same, came so close to uh, uh, to death. But it was a, 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 a most remarkable night with this lieutenant who. And uh, I spent uh, 60-some years looking for this uh, lieutenant. Uh, not not him because he was dead, obviously, uh, but, uh, but looking for his family to tell them how a heroic man had died. Now, Sheikh had been listed as missing in action, but he wasn't missing. He was killed. And I wanted to let his family know because I was a point man in his patrol, and I saw him when he got wasted, but he was... Probably not. Probably he was the most uh, the heroic man that I uh, that I'd ever seen or ever will see. When the enemy came, he just was on his knees firing, and uh, and uh, shit. It was amazing. And I'd rather not go through the whole battle if you want. But no, uh, no, no, that's, no, no, that's,
0: that's okay. Um, now, some years later, you get the idea to write this uh, story. The Purple Heart, and to uh, turn it into a film. Can you talk about that? And
1: uh, Yeah, well, what happened it was the press covered it very well about uh, uh, this young lady who, uh, her name was Kimberly, and she lives in North Carolina. What happened was that she, uh, uh, and, there, and a, um, she's a, her husband is um, a military veteran as well, but in order to support her family, she would go out and do this thing they call yard-sailing, Mm-hmm. that's where they put things in their front yard to sell on eBay. And uh, she went one day, and then she found this box of books. And she bought the box of books, bought them home. And all about eight, nine months, shortly under a year later, she opened the box. She was needing a little cash. And so she opened the box of books. And lo and behold, she turns it upside down. And lo and behold, out falls this, uh, uh, this in little encasement containing the Purple Heart. She didn't really know what it was, but she had. She knew it was a medal and that it was important. And so she called her husband, him having been in service or was in service at the time, said uh, to her, Honey, that's the Purple Heart. You know, and that medal means an awful lot to somebody. And she said, Well, the founder didn't need the books. He said, Whatever. You can't go on eBay and sell it because it means too much. It's just not the way to treat a, metal, a revered medal like that. Sure. So, Kimberly being the. Uh, Industrious uh, and uh, internet savvy young woman that she is, went on, on uh, back on the internet to try to find the owner of this medal. Lo and behold, she comes across uh, some organization that, with the second division who knew about uh, Lieutenant Shank and said, not only that, but there's a guy that's out in California. He's looking for the same um, um, same officer, Lieutenant Henry A. Shank, and uh, Kimberly said, "Oh my goodness!" And so. She proceeded to track me down on Facebook, and she got a hold of my assistant uh, Hazel. And Hazel, she explained to Hazel what she wanted, and Hazel thought she was some sort of a fan. You know, get a little, every now and then, you get those. And uh, and Hazel said, "Well, no, I think you better explain that story to him. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to run a risk and give you uh, his telephone number, which Hazel did. Uh, and then, lo and behold, Campbell calls." And she said, Mr. McEachin, and I said, yes, and it woke me up. And uh, she said, my name is Ray, uh, uh, my name is Kimberly Tyler, Uh and I have a medal here that belonged to Henry Schink. And, oh, my God, my world just you know, I, I, you know, I was, you uh,
0: Well, you were overcome and this fun. man you've been looking for for so long that had been so heroic so, and everything. It had to be just an inc- yeah. incredible moment.
1: Out of the clear blue, she called, and so I went on to find out about it. And, um, and she told me the story and uh, how she came, how uh, she came to um, how that moment was when she found the on this box, and that the uh, that she was talking to the the guy that knew something about it, really did uh, uh, she was really taken aback by it. I get so emotional when I think about the story that it's just. Uh, it just overwhelmed me, and so there were a couple of newspaper articles that came out about the the incident, and I said, "Well, I should write the story uh, about the the entire episode," and which I did, and it came out so well, I decided I would convert it uh, into a full screenplay, and I did, and it's called the uh, the Purple Heart, and I have been breaking my neck from that day to this day. Try to find the financing to, uh, to get it done. Interestingly enough, I went to some of my, my, uh, used to be the close friends to say, hey, listen, this I've got to do, da da da, da uh, da da. And I, uh, went to Clint, And that's what I would do with him first because uh, he's such a hot director today and that, uh, we've been friends for so long. And when Clint said, well, I'll read the script as soon as I get finished, uh, directing, uh, uh, Jersey Boys, which I'm getting ready to go off and do. This was obviously months ago. And so I waited until he got finished uh, with Jersey Boys, and then the picture came out, and he said he was going to call me. I had no hair coming. So then I he, uh, heard that he was going off to do another picture, and I said, to hell with that. I'm tired of waiting. So I called him again. He, never, he, he he didn't return the call. In fact, he still had to return the call, and I'm still pissed off about it, too. Uh, so I took it over to the studios and said I can, I'll get a, a, a filmmaker to, uh, to make it, meaning a good director. I'm a director myself because I'm acting in it as well. And, uh, so I've been fussing around trying to find an A-list director or somebody like that that I can bring to the table. But I gotta tell you, and it's not to hype the screenplay, but it is probably one of the most sobering and the most penetrating screenplays you've ever read because I, I walk you through the, the whole battle and what the, you know the, the racial issues that occurred in the military, and uh, how it is to be suffering from uh, injuries sustained 60 some years earlier.
0: Well, certainly, and the fact that this is a true story, and the kind yep. of story that I think Hollywood doesn't necessarily make as often as it should, but when it does, Or, or story...
3: embrace.
1: I can tell you that too yeah. well yeah, yeah I
0: mean when they do a movie like seabiscuit or you know we could name them on down the line they seem people seem to flock to them uh, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the story is is so amazing you would almost believe it was fiction uh, because it, it's
3: true, absolutely
0: yeah absolutely it is it is uh just just an incredible incredible story the purple heart movie dot us go there immediately and and uh, boy, I would really love to see this film uh, get made. It it just seems like it's a story from the heart, and uh, it has everything a great story should have. You know, I mean, it's. Uh,
1: I uh, there's a character in that that really, really happened. And uh, let me tell you, just to back up a second, I don't know how much time you have.
0: I have as long as you'd long. like.
1: Oh, you go ahead. we well, just feel free. We'll just toss this ball back and forth across the court as long as you want. All right. Uh I was, I met with an old friend of mine because I was trying to put some of the characters together, and uh, knowing what how Hollywood feels about uh, doing patriotic pieces, I went to the most left-wing guy I could find, not because he was left-winger, but because he's such a such a wonderful actor, and he's a friend, uh, knowing that he was going to criticize the living daylights out of me, is Ed Asda, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I gave Ed a copy of the script, not expecting what he was going to say, because I thought he was going to say, well, this is a bunch of right-wing, you know, hula or something. I really wasn't expecting him to say that. And he said, Jim, this is one of the best screenplays I have ever read, and I will do anything to help you get it made. Now, this is from Ed Asner, the seven, seven-time winner of uh, the, the, the uh, Emmys, oh, who yeah. has been that. Uh, you know. Uh, so.
3: Uh, and well, well,
0: that... well-known liberal. I mean, as liberal as you can get, uh, Ed Asner is yeah. a, a very loud voice for all liberal oh. causes, no matter how big or small.
3: <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs>
1: that, that That's true, and uh, but for his reaction. You know, you you you'd expect that from Gary Sandeese or somebody like that, you know, uh-huh. because Gary is, is about as about as patriotic as you can be, and it's not to say Ed is not patriotic, but <laughs> his his views leave a lot to be desired. So, uh, but but he was the first one to who tell me how wonderful the script was.
0: Well, oh, is, that's uh, that's high praise indeed coming from, from Ed Asner. He's seen, yeah. seen, a, seen a script or two.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So he's, he's, he's quite something. In fact, he got a little emotional when he was talking to me about it.
0: It's difficult not to. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it really, really is difficult not to. Um, once again, the PurpleheartMovie.us. You really do need to go there and uh, see the vision that Mr. McKeachin has uh, for this film. So, you leave the military, and we'll get we'll get back more into that I'll, I'll talk about this movie some more toward the end uh and okay. you, you have a career as a fireman and a policeman in Hackensack new jersey uh
1: well I wouldn't exactly call them careers I mean I spent left it was roughly about uh, six months in uh on that fire department, and I really didn't want to be a fireman and uh, then I migrated over to the police department. Well, and then my life took yet another change.
0: Well, yes, and then we get to this record producing career that I knew nothing.
1: <laughs> <You've been digging. laughs> I, I knew
0: nothing about this. The first thing that springs to mind, and I'd love for you to just tell us all about your record producing career. Everything I read, there's a lot of conjecture. Let's just say out there that James McEachin, mm-hmm. also known to some as Jimmy Mack, is, is, is the Jimmy Mac in the famous Motown song, it, it, are you that Jimmy Mac?
1: Well, I would, I would say no, and, I'm, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, I was in the record industry for quite some time,
3: uh-huh.
1: and uh, I was, uh, before producing, I used to be in promotions, and so I became rather well-known, uh-huh. right? Uh, you know how, uh, I don't know if it, how it is in the business today. Uh, but by that time, I had gone on to uh, uh, do, do some things. And Martin the Vandellas came out with this song, and no one ever talked to me about it. And I was in Newark, New Jersey, doing, on a promo tour. And, and the song, uh, everybody just thought I was a Jimmy Mack. And I saw Barry one time, but I didn't get a chance to uh, get Barry Gordy. Uh-huh. I never got a chance to talk to him about it. But, or how uh, Stevenson or whoever wrote it. Uh, came up with it, but I couldn't have been. Even though there are people who do this, they swear out. Yes, you're just trying to hide from it. <laughs> what is it to hide from?
0: Really, you know? I. It's, that's a badge of honor. Uh, yeah. Yeah i uh, I have to tell you the uh, the way that I even found out it would be possible to talk to you. I was on uh, Lori Downey's show, and she was te- uh, she, she was telling a story. Uh, back off the, off the air, that you we don't need to get into. It involves a cruise ship, a benefit, and no food. I'm sure you remember the evening that she was referring to. <laughs> and yeah, right, and she, right. be, she began this long 15-minute <laughs> story, because you know how Lori can tell her stories, with the very yeah. first thing she said was who she was with, and the very first name she mentioned. She says Jimmy McEachin. And I couldn't even pay attention to the rest of the story. That was just like a a dog waiting for some food to fall off a plate for the story to end because at the very end of the story, you can ask her, I didn't pay attention, a word of the story, she stops and I just said, did you just say Jimmy McKeachin, James McKeachin the actor? and she said, "Oh sure, let me get him on the phone." She starts dialing the number and I am just floored. I'm just I've been a, a tremendous admirer of your work for since I was younger, let's just say. How do you get started in the record I mean, you obviously were well known because if you were in promotions and you were producing people, you're out front. You're talking to everybody. You have to know every single thing that's going on out there. How do you oh, go, yeah. how do you go from hack and sack to to into the record-producing business.
1: Long story. and am trying to narrow it down. What had happened, I was getting out of the hospital again from nursing, uh, from having one of my wounds from where I'd been in, in Korea looked at. Uh, oh, well, let me start before that. While I was in Agnizac, I, my, my, uh, uh one of my, my injuries started acting up again, and I had to go to a warm climate, so I ended up in California. Where else would you go? Mm-hmm. so uh, one day I get out of the hospital <laughs> sent for my girlfriend she came out we got married and I said uh, now what do I do <laughs> there was a song that came on the radio uh, and I said that's one of the worst things I've ever heard and I can write a song better than that not having any idea about writing a song or whatever so I sat down the uh, with these lyrics, I mean, I'd always been pretty good at rhyming. I woke up this morning and I heard the news, they're shooting at the moon, they're trying to blow out the fuse, it's getting rough. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's getting tough. Uh, and I, I can't remember offhand what the rest of the lyrics, uh, what, what they are, but uh, that was the song. And so it sounded pretty interesting to me. And I got on the bus, left Boquem, California, to go down to Hollywood. And walking on the streets, I went up into uh, this one office that was owned by a guy by the name of Bob Keane and he was recording uh, La Bamba. What, what was his name? Uh, who did La Bamba? You, at any rate, he, he had that song, Richie Valens.
0: Yeah, Richie Valens. So
1: I said, uh, I got a song that maybe this guy could do, and Bob Keane listened to the song. And he said, I think he can do it too. And before you know it, he, we called Charles Wright down, and Charles Wright listened to it, told he could put some music to it. And as, as it turned out, he never recorded a song. That's the bottom line of it. <laughs> But at any rate, from that moment on, I was in the music business, and I felt that I'd never be disappointed like that again. And so that's how I ended up uh, in the business, and I ended up uh, starting a little group called The Furies. you remember we did thing with the Strings of Our Heart? Uh-huh. And, uh, and then after that, there was a guy that came into the group, that I thought had some talent, but he wanted to be a solo singer, and his name was Otis Redding.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. He, yeah. he turned out to be a pretty good solo singer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. Almost like my movie, I couldn't sell him. Al Cadlin, who owned France World Record, I recorded a song on Otis called, uh, uh, oh, She's Alright, took it to, uh, didn't want to distribute it myself, didn't have any money, which is the story of my life. Uh-huh. And uh, Al Catlin heard it and said, Great beat, Jim, but I can't understand a word he's saying. Now, Al wasn't exactly 19 years old to begin with. And I said to Catlin, I said, This guy here is going to be a major so Look at the feeling in the soul. Now, at the time, Otis wanted to be, he really wanted to be Jackie Wilson. You remember Jackie Wilson, oh, yeah. who had a phenomenal voice? Oh, yeah. So, uh, we Otis finally, I recorded another song on remember Otis finally left and before you know it, he, I didn't record Otis on any of those giants that he had. Uh, but I did bring him into the business. And so there's some guy writing a book about that as well. Oh, wow. And so that's how uh, I got into it.
0: Well, okay. So we have the military career. Now we have the record-producing <laughs> career. How do you go from record producer to uh, actor?
1: One day I'm walking down the street on Melrose Boulevard. A guy comes up to me and he, he kind of looks me up and down. and says, He says his exact words, Ain't you an actor? And I said, No. He said, Do you want to be an actor? And I said, No don't have the slightest idea about. I don't know anything about him. don't want to be one but if I know nine yards and this guy he was so insistent he said, "I got this script that 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 the guy looks just like you he, uh he, 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 you'd be wonderful for it well I to be honest about it, I didn't know anything about the movie business nothing and he said well, uh listen, let me do a little uh, cafe right around from Paramount Studios there. Uh, he said, "Why don't I go in?" Uh, gosh, I almost the name of it. Why don't we go in there and we we'll have a little lunch, and then we'll talk about the script. You know? And I said, "The lunch? Yeah, yeah, of course." I didn't have a job at the time uh, because I was on my way up to see a friend of mine whose name was Geordie Hormel. You know the son of Wonder of Meat. Oh yeah, the who, Hormel, sure. Um, but, yeah. Well, Geordie was a good friend at the time. So I said, "Well, I'll just hold Geordie off." I was just going up there to gab with him. And then we went to this restaurant, and we I had some chili or something like that. This guy's telling me about the script that they're going to shoot here and the angles of this, and <laughs> the guy's going to do this. And the movie was called "I Crossed the Color Line," about uh, this black guy who infiltrated the Klan, and which didn't do a damn thing for me. But I didn't—I don't know stories. So we got finished with the lunch. The guy. Tells me to come on to go with him. Now I'm thinking the guy is a little light in the locus, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. If he, if he makes that, that move, I'm gonna punch him in the mouth and then boom, I'm out the door. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but no, he really had the script. And isn't that amazing? I'm almost in the same position now of trying to get this script done. Uh-huh. So he takes me to meet the producer, whose name was Ted V. Michaels. Ted looks me up and down and said, "Well, yeah, yeah, he might do da
0: da 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 da." Ted and Ted V. He, to... Ted V. Michael's a famous, uh, you know. He he produced tons of stuff in, in Hollywood. <laughs> oh,
1: that that was the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you know that because most of the other people, the other people don't know it. But Ted, Ted was the guy that hired me.
0: And he, man, he would and he, he could... would just he was like a, a mini Roger Corman. I mean, he no, would that's just
1: exactly g- what it was.
0: grab a property. and well, I didn't and know that it. at the
1: time. Yeah, I, I didn't have any experience in the movie business, so I mean, you you could have bought C. C. B. DeMille in front of me, I wouldn't have known him, you know, because I wasn't uh-huh. into that.
3: Right, right.
1: So you get done with well, your well, lunch. I'm glad you, but, well, if you ever see him, <laughs> you tell him. I saw. I only saw him once after that. He said, "You know, I'm responsible for your career." I said, "I know damn well you are." You know. <laughs> so, but that's how it happened. Now to go to to. to to the chase, I ended up, um, I took the script he gave me, threw it in the back of the car, uh, um, and I was going up to see who was it, it was a, I was going up to see another friend of mine, but you remember Renee Hall, Rene Hall, used to do all the Sam Cooke records, oh, yeah. all the arranging, he did He did all of this. So his wife had to go to the unemployment office. She said, Jimmy, could you take me to the unemployment office? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She gets in the car, she sees the script on the on the on the front seat there, and she said, "Jimmy, what's this book?" And I said, "Gert, believe it or not, there's some guy <laughs> that <laughs> wants me to be in a movie." <laughs> so she said, "Well, you gonna do it?" now? I like, "Are you kidding me? I don't know anything about your movies." So I put the script when she went into the unemployment office. I took the script, locked it up in the trunk of my car, and then uh, waited for her. Then I went home. A couple of weeks go by. I forgot I had the script. I get this call from. Ted Michael said, hey, listen, we gave you a, a script a couple of weeks ago, and you were going to call us back, and we never heard from you. Are you going to do it, or are you not? My wife's in the kitchen, and I said, hey, hon, does this, this guy want me to be in a movie. What do you think? And she said, well, you bombed out on everything else. You might as well try it. <laughs> and that's how I got in the movie. And I was the worst thing in one of the worst movies ever made.
0: Well, that's that's almost a story from a from a movie. Where, where the guy that ends up becoming a movie star uh, you know, turns to his wife and said, what do you think I ought to do? Well, you, you haven't done anything else. So uh, Now, <laughs> yeah. when, when you went to do that, because you'd been around performers, obviously around people that were on stage and in studios and stuff, were you always kind of just a creative person? You said you'd been a writer. I mean, was it difficult for you to, quote, unquote, pretend to be some someone else, or was it incredibly
1: intimidating? Know what? So help me. I didn't know anything about the camera or about acting that you had to have moves. For instance, I thought there was a scene where I was supposed to drive into the scene and say something to these Klansmen. (laughs) They were going to hang my friend, and I was supposed to say something to him. And I thought, the director says, listen, now you drive in here, you see the guy on the back of the truck with the, with the rope around his neck, and then you say to the other guy, well, where's is, where is Jerry, right? That's just true. Ask, ask Ted. He'll take right Because <laughs> Ted, would not only did he produce, he directed it. And Jill Salomon was, 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 was a part of it, too. I don't know if you remember that name. So uh, the trouble was, I got in the, the car. I thought you were supposed to just... He said, driving to the scene. Well, I thought driving to the scene meant that you, you know, at least you're talking about maybe not a mile, but, a, a you know, a, a couple of feet or something. Uh-huh. Well, what he was talking about is inches. You know, right. just bring the car to a, a stop. You know, where the car would make a little dip or something, and then, uh, then you get, the, get out of the car, and you save a line, which I didn't know how to do because I didn't know you had to memorize dialogue, which is affected me to this day. I, I, I don't have uh, this ability to remember dialogue. It always frightens me. You know, so, <laughs> I can control it, but I don't know how to remember that well.
3: well.
1: And, and that was my intro uh, to, and, and to the movie. And, I, and I, I was such a stiff. I was such a stiff that when a guy says I was supposed to be a musician, he said now you know you look over here for the for the girl and i i didn't want to move because you know when you take a, a, a picture of someone in the old days they didn't move you say okay hold still get ready okay now smile or what are we going to do right
3: right right well
1: i and in, in movies i didn't know that you you're supposed to act natural just keep walking or talking or singing or whatever so as a result that was the worst thing in the world. I had a bigger headache. I got a bigger headache from that than than it was when I got shot.
0: (laughs) Well, well, uh, I'm just going to list, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to list... Uh, just some of of the programs and, and movies that you were in uh, Manix y-5o the Wild Wild West then came Bronson it takes a thief dragnet the name of the game the FBI yeah. true grit every which way but loose play Misty for me Ironside McLeod, Adam 12 of course Tenafly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The Rockford Files, MacMillan and Wife, All in the Family. Oh boy, uh, a couple great episodes yeah. of All in the Family, Hill Street Blues, uh, all those Perry Mason movies, and I know I've left out a billion. You get you, you, you get into this by accident, and and uh-huh. you start doing it. At what point do you realize? Hey, I mean, I, I might be pretty good at this. Uh, you know, is it just the the people keep asking you, and then the you know keep paying you to do it, or or and what, well, at what at what point did you take it seriously? Did you say okay, I'm going to do this now?
1: Well, this, you got two, that's a twofold question. I don't know. I think it's only up until the Purple Heart that I've really the movie I'm trying to do that I've ever really <laughs> taken it seriously. <laughs> I think one of the things with Tenafly, Fly, and, and you know the was canceled, was a very short-lived series. And you do know that it was the first black uh, uh, television series that was on uh, a starring a, a, a starring a, a black character with, with myself, right? Oh, sure. Uh, I
3: didn't take. I,
1: I never really gave that the thought that I should have. If I have to go back and look over one of my huge mistakes. Uh, some people would say it was not sticking with Steve, it was Steven Spielberg was a mistake, but I don't look at that. I look at that almost as a blessing. Uh, I I never really, I shouldn't have been the responsible person that I should have been when I did that series. I suppose that would be the way that I would, uh, would frame it.
0: So you weren't like a method actor and all that. You didn't.
1: No, uh, no, <laughs> the guys in New York, cause there, there used to be a lot of jealousy involved in it too. Cause the, the guys in New York who really studied a lot and some of them were wonderful actors, you know, the Rock Lee Browns and the Max Julians and those guys, uh, uh, um, they were kind of put out because I really didn't take this thing to heart, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, Franklin and uh, Raymond St. Johnson. I mean, they were, they were actors. And, you know, I hope some some guy... Well, like, let me tell you what happened. Uh, you remember the girl... Uh, do you remember playing Misty for me?
0: Oh, yes, Jessica Walter.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, no the, the, yeah. But the, uh, there was a lady in there. Uh, her name was Clarice Taylor. She played the maid. Oh, yes. And she was the one who walked in the room with her... Would they would have had this party? She said, "Mmm, must have been some great party here last night."
3: Right, or right. Like that
1: she said. Uh, this girl, when when she came on the set, our first day of shooting, uh, Clint introduced me to her. And uh, the, the, I had been working, oh, shooting, some of the scene, and uh, so she was very cold. You know, blackly, lady. you know, you'd think that there'd be this great camaraderie or whatever. And she would almost, I would kind of come around and every time I would come around, and Clint and I would be joking or something, and she would kind of subtly move away or whatever. I said, damn, what's the, what is that problem? So one day I go to Clinton yeah. and I said, hey, listen, it, <laughs> this Clarice, does she have a problem with me or something? She said, she came to me and she said, uh, she got a, she didn't particularly care for you because she didn't think you were an actor. She thinks that I, <laughs> I just got one of the disc jockeys. From off the air and hired him.
0: You're kidding me.
1: No, I swear to God, true story.
0: Oh man.
1: <laughs> yeah, she because the uh, because they were so devoted to acting, they wanted actors to to be actors. You know, now here I am clowning around and jiving around as the character was, and so she thought it was a real live disc jockey rather than. <laughs> Uh, rather than uh, an actor
0: playing one. Well, I think maybe if you're a stage actor, that's that's a whole different thing. I think uh, in movies and television, there are people on screen who are just likable or just have a certain magnetism about mm-hmm. them and yeah, a, a yeah. ability to carry off a, a, t- a t- type of character. And
1: Garner was that way.
0: A lot of the old Hollywood guys, your Robert Mitchums, you know, that they were just, your yeah, your right. Lee right. Marvins, they just seemed like they walked out of whatever they were doing the day before and they didn't really care if there was a camera there or not.
1: Well, you know who you just described was John Wayne.
3: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: That's exactly the way he was. You know, we did uh, did a couple of pictures with the uh, dude. Uh, and. <laughs> I can go on, but there's so many stories. But next question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, when you came up through the ranks, episodic television, uh-huh. particularly in dramas, I mean, they're killing them off after two or three showings now, and there's very <laughs> few dramas on TV. I mean, they'll promote a yeah. show for two months on the Super Bowl and everything. It airs twice and uh-huh. doesn't get the ratings. Sorry, we're going to cancel. And
3: yeah, you,
1: yank, yank it, you know. Yeah, it, well, You're in, right. It's gone.
0: In your day, and uh, when I was growing up, it didn't matter how bad a show was. If they went ahead and produced it, they were going to air it until the end. Unless <laughs> they, it they was air it at- so bad. And they had
1: insult the injury, they would would air it in
0: reruns, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was a lot more work at that time, I think, for dramatic actors, character actors. Uh, When you were coming up, was it it still a holdover from the studio system? Did you know certain networks were going to hire you more often than not? Or did you just freelance and you got business from a variety of sources all the time?
1: Well, I did a lot of freelancing, uh, uh, awful lot of freelancing. But what happens? I ended up under contract to Universal Studios. Okay. So, which was almost like putting the fox in with the chickens, <laughs> you know? Because Universal had twenty uh, some hours of prime time television at the time, and it was really a factory. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, they, they, if if you wanted something to, if you wanted to be seen, you got to go on Universal Studios because not only did they, which they have today, which they locked up on uh, NBC, but all of those shows, uh, you know, the, the you name the show, if it was worth a damn, it was on, uh, uh, it was from Universal and on uh, NBC.
0: Right, that was a, a big, big time for NBC. And also, when you were yeah. when you were doing episodic television, uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think the first interracial kiss was on Star Trek in the mid '60s. I mean, the, the issues, it, it, yeah, yeah, uh, issues, issues of race were still being very, very prominently uh, pushed forward. You know, uh, uh, shows like The Mod Squad. There were you know actual whole shows about it. Uh, you were playing these important roles on television, in mass media at that time. Was, was it a job, Just you're just an actor and you're going to play a role? Or did that portion of it mean something to you as well? Is that you were portraying these roles that other people would be seeing and, and uh, taking into their minds as, as the way an African-American person might be?
1: Well, there was a lot of things that I wouldn't do. I just simply would not do them. I never did anything, which is a reason why you might be interested to know I did not do the color purple. Because I did not like the image that, uh, and I'll tell you another story I was sure I was supposed to do. I did not like the image that the way the black, how he was portrayed. I mean the beating of his wife and all of that kind of stuff, and I simply wouldn't do it. And I thought it to be very, very costly. And if you were to go back and dig a little bit, you'll find out that the big controversy that I had uh, with we did that uh, that uh, miniseries called Beulah Land, and uh, I wouldn't allow my name to be used on the credits because of having gotten into a big fight with David Gerber about uh, my not uh, uh, not my being displeased about the way he had my character dancing. While, he, while the white man was just beating on my son. And I said, I'm not going to do this. And David said, well, you signed a contract to do it when it is a big fight. And I said, but you promised me, casting promised me that they would make some changes. And he didn't do it until da-da-da. I think I have an article or something in my scrapbook to, uh, to substantiate that. Well, my, I mean, my career is been so incredible. It's, it's, it's amazing. Right. But I didn't do the color purple that Steven Spielberg wanted me to do. And Ruben Cannon was casting it, and I read the first two pages of, of the color purple, and I said, "What a piece of garbage!" And I called up Ruben. I told him I was going to send him pieces, <laughs> you know what, uh, to my uh, to my house again to do it. And to that day, I think that's why Spielberg, <laughs> why he won't talk with me, and, I, and and probably Oprah, because she probably, I think she found out that I turned it down as well. Now I need Oprah because I need her to. I uh, would love to have her place involved in this uh, in the Purple Heart. Because the Purple Heart is bigger than me, and bigger than uh, many of that stuff. It is, you know, it is um, uh, it, 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 it exemplifies the best that our nation has to offer and the sacrifices that so many men have made.
0: Well, and it's just a story that just needs to be told.
1: Uh, oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: You know. It, uh, and I get all those issues of something that we're talking about now. I, I hit those issues in the screenplay. I don't take a sledgehammer uh, to beat you over the head with it, but I do point out that uh, that there was racism at the time in the military. But the thing is that the military had this wonderful way of overcoming such things, which they did. And uh, you know, Truman signed Executive Order 9981, and the, the military became integrated.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the military takes care of everything. Eventually it's, it's, it's wheels grind slowly, but permanently. And, uh, when they get around to it, they, they fix it once and for all. Generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, now what do you think is the biggest change that you've seen in the industry for actors, uh, from when you began?
1: Um, well, since I don't go around the studios that much, <laughs> nobody's calling me. As a matter of fact, uh, well, they knew I retired anyway. Um, I think the, the biggest change would have to be the way that television series. I mean, you can do some channel hopping, and you can find some of the shows that look exactly really like they were many movies, and I am. Taken by the way that uh, that how loose we have it, it, it's it's very reflective of our society I mean uh, uh, you know language gets <laughs> is a little coarse. or if you you can show you can be more they are certainly much more graphic in their depiction of uh, horror uh, which I don't think is healthy for the country uh, and uh, everybody has this gung-ho thing. That, and my God, you watch some of these half-hour quote, quote, comedy shows, and some of the things that they say on there, were well, <laughs> good Lord, you wonder what a preacher's son had to do to get them. To
0: hey, a, hey to, to, to get them. all I watch anymore, and I get to see you on TV a couple times a week, are these stations that show nothing but old television shows. Old Yeah, Uh, You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the creative conflict on Beulah land and, and I've always found that in directing things, if you need a person to do a specific thing, like if you need the, you know, Vivian Lee to say the one line perfectly or gone with the wind doesn't work, you make sure they can do that before you start. And if it's anything else. There's always a creative solution. You don't have to paint somebody into a corner. You can say, well, what are you trying to do here? Well, there's another way to get that emotion or that feeling or that element of the storyline in without asking somebody to do something that they either can or won't do. So, you know. Uh, hey, can I talk to you about Insight? I am so sorry for, for mistaking the names of your fellow actors, but I have... Uh, had a soft spot in my heart for Insight uh, for many years. Just, time, yes, because of the fact that it was the only thing on television. Uh, we were a very, very devout Catholic family. We went to the earliest mass that you could possibly go to, which I think was a 6 or 7 o'clock mass on Sunday. And when we get home, the only thing on television that was even remotely watchable was Insight, and it was an incredible show,
1: uh, it really was. It's probably one of the most overlooked things on just been on television. It's as good as anything that has ever been on television.
0: The dramatic uh, portrayals on it, the storylines were incredibly well written. They always, True. absolutely, they always involved an absolutely. issue, an issue of, of faith and humanity. But they dealt with extremely, extremely volatile issues. And uh, Father Elwood Bud Kaiser, who looked like a cross between Lurch and Vince Lombardi. And
1: he... <laughs> Yeah, but, but but a smart man. You know what happens? All the actors, he would expect for you to, you know, I mean, it was, all, it was all union and everything. But he would give you the check for appearing on the show. He wouldn't give it to the agent. He'd give you whatever the scale amount was. And he'd stand there. I mean, the very first time I said, this guy gave me this, gave me the check, which I didn't know that they did things like that. And he just stood there. <laughs> Later on, I said to one of the actors, "I said, the guy, he gave you the check, and then he and then he just he wouldn't move. He just stayed there. And he said, well, he was waiting for you to sign it and give it back to him."
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. They, hey, look, I grew up Catholic. They will, they will really, they will put the bite on you. Um, and, uh, you'd see this guy and he looked so severe and, and like gigantic, like a, a, just a huge hulking guy. And then he would, he would, why do people love? I mean, he would, he had this soft voice and he would talk to you very, very personally about why do people love? Is it because the heart feels stronger than the mind? Are in, and, yeah. he, and he would get into this real philosophical and draw you in, and then, boom, you'd go to the best actors and actresses, and I have to imagine the best scriptwriters uh, all contributing. Uh, I'll never forget the episode that I saw you on. Of course, I messed up the actors, but you were the first uh, African-American moving into an all-white neighborhood. And uh, Oh,
3: my God.
1: That was with uh, Harvey Korman. uh Oh, where, am I right? Right,
0: and uh, Ron Mazar. Ron, Ron
1: Maysack.
0: Yeah, Masek. Sorry, and and uh, and the actress was uh, was it Joan? Joyce, Pat-
3: Joyce, uh,
0: Joyce, Joyce Van Patten. Yeah, Joyce Van Patten. Uh, Harvey Corman just kept going on about how you were going to start a shrimp boil in the neighborhood. He just kept saying, I'm going to have a shrimp boil. And, was, and then you came in and played this character that was actually the most reasonable and uh, clear thinking of the entire group and just blew them all away. Uh, and it was just. I slim
3: should for Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was. uh, It was. Uh, I've never forgotten it. Never, ever, ever, ever forgotten it. And, uh, well, I mean,
3: uh,
1: and you know, the, the, one of the things I will always remember, from Father Kaiser, and I still got the letter uh, from him. It, knowing that you were a fan, you'd appreciate this. He wrote me a lovely letter one day. He did, Jim. I was just watching uh, the show. I think it was L. L- Blues. And he says, "I really think you should put yourself up for an Emmy for this, for that show." Uh huh. Wasn't that a sweet thing for him to
0: do? Oh yeah. He
1: wrote me telling me to put myself up for an Emmy.
0: <laughs> oh man, that show was on for 23 years, and it it won the uh, Outstanding Achievement in Religious Programming. Oh, it was nominated, of course, every year, but it won for a period of years in a row. And I think they finally just said, "We got to start giving it to somebody else. <laughs> people will just get discouraged and quit producing." Yeah, he was. Uh,
1: yeah, he, he was uh, legendary, and everybody was on it—Redford and uh, you name the actor—and and they did
0: it. Oh, Sheen. Um, I mean, you name one, and and they and it, that was part of the joy of that show. Was to tune in every uh-huh. week and see. Oh my gosh, who did they get this week? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, it was just it was a wonderful kind of undiscovered little gem. And uh, thanks for doing it. You were yeah. you were you were awesome on that. I got to tell you, at my house, uh, my dad, not the biggest fan of really anything in entertainment. If James McKeachin was on a show, we watched it. He, oh, that's great. Yeah,
3: I, yeah. I don't, I don't. Is
0: he still with us? Oh sure, sure, and and guys like uh, yourself, Bradford Dillman. Um, I could name just these yeah. actors that were in episodic television, and when they were on a on a program, it just took that show to another level. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you knew it was going to be a, a good night for you when you heard her name. Well, you know,
1: like- it, 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 you weren't restricted on that show. It, I, you know, most shows I, I like to move around because I'm trying to think of the dialogue. And some directors will say, hey, no, you gotta stay here because I got the camera set up here, whatever. Probably Kaiser would always say, well, no, the actor has to do what he feels like doing, you know. <laughs> you don't move the actor, you move the camera. <laughs>
0: uh-huh uh-huh Wait, what's the best and that invi- helps a great deal oh sure sure if you've got people that that allow you as a, an actor to do the things necessary to give you the best performance that's what it's all about you know that, that, that camera, yeah, right. yeah. Ca- camera's gonna only capture at one time it might as well be the very best uh <laughs> th- thing you got to offer what, what's the best advice you ever got about being an actor
1: I'm sorry, say that again.
0: What's the best advice that anyone gave you about being an actor?
1: I don't know if I'm. I don't know if that's ever happened to me. I, I can't recall it. I, you know, I. <laughs> probably the most intimidating act I ever worked with uh, was, uh, was Jack Webb, uh, who was also probably the most. Uh, courageous in the sense that if he wanted you, he hired you and he didn't give a damn what the network said. And, and Mark Arming could thank his career to uh, to Jack Webb too because they didn't want him on a show or they didn't think he had it. And Jack said he will stay on his show uh else I don't do the show.
0: Well, you know? yeah, Jack Webb was uh, not only uh, from radio way back, uh, a great actor. But when he started doing Dragnet, that was his show, and he was going to do it his way. He was, you know, obviously, obviously the, the producer as well.
1: You're, you're right, and uh, <laughs> and you, when you went on that show, it was, it was on that stage. It was quiet as a mouth and Jack would always force you to read that damn teleprompter, though. Oh, really? You know, uh, uh, I mean, some actors have phenomenal memories and uh, others don't. And, but Jack would insist that you use a telephone. Number, like, if you want to say, um, Sergeant, I'm going to arrest that guy, you say, Sergeant, I'm going to arrest that guy. He said, No, keep it up. Keep everything up. Keep Sergeant, arrest that guy. Keep well, it up. Keep it together.
3: Well,
0: if, if <laughs> uh, people like myself that are fans of old time radio, some of the early black and white dragnets were word for word from the radio. I mean, they, and, and if CL, <laughs> yeah. CS, CS shows like CSI can thank dragnet because Jack Webb was actually the first guy that said, no, we're going to show how the police actually do things. We're going to actually work with the police and it may be boring at times, but we're going to show exactly the way the police, you know, by the book do things.
3: Yeah, right. Uh, well, he had, the,
1: he had the LAPD wired, you know, and don't forget Adam 12 was his show. Oh, yeah. The uh, emergency. The other, he had that show he had. Uh, so, but he was, but I think one thing, if Jack said he was going to hire you, he would hire you. Uh, I, I got to be, I, I really kind of credit him with my, at least a large measure of my success. Well, other guys wouldn't hire black like actors, he would. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I mean, one day, one week, you're on the show as a, a baseball coach, and I remember the next, I got another script where he said, well, I want you to play this detective. But, Jack, I just did the show. You play a detective. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> All that's, right with
0: me. that's, Dragnet's on in the afternoon now, and I, I never I never miss it. But there are certain actors that you see, and you're like, well, didn't he just arrest her last week? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Jack's yeah, got her Virginia
1: Gregg. Every time he about uh,
0: exactly <laughs> it is Virginia <laughs> Gregg, it is Virginia Gregg every time, and that's then,
1: right' that's absolutely yeah he, he adored her it's, you know, and, and if you if you saw him directing her, you'd think he hated her, <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh he was he was like that, he was a terror to work with, oh really, oh, and just you know keep it straight, keep it straight, what what, what you know I wore glasses all the time. most of them. Hey, you know you touch those glasses. Why do you touch those glasses?
0: You know, you bring them... Some oh, Jesus Christ,
1: Jack, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. McGeeves... But, but he would hire you the next week. Uh, oh, I can tell you all the war well, stories. Jack is the reason why I live in Encino today, because he, he had a party one time. I got a little wasted and couldn't get any further. I mean, you got to buy your house in Encino. <laughs> okay, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> he
3: was great. Well,
0: he... Uh, yeah, and there was an actor. It's not Harry Townsend. But I can't think of the actor's name uh, that was the male counterpart to uh, Virginia Gregg. He's he's one week he's a lawyer, the next week he's a flim flam man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh... You, you see the same thing in Adam Twelve too. You know, uh, well
1: that's the same company. That's the and that's a Mark Seven Production.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, oh, it's just great to hear the Jack Webster. I mean, I'm a fan of his from. Uh, back in the you know, the Rogues, Rogues Gallery and all the old radio shows he was on. Uh, uh-huh. I have every episode of the Dragnet radio show uh, uh-huh. that they ever made. So uh, anything, Jack Webb, is, uh, is always welcome here. Well, I thank you so much for spending your time today. Once again, the movie is the PurpleheartMovie.us and uh anything anybody can do to give mr McKeachin some uh support and enthusiasm for that spread the word about it because uh it, boy you'd think at least one of these uh tv networks like usa or somebody would uh or tnt would want to want to pick this thing up it is a a true story it's a, a story that involves uh service to country and uh patriotism and uh and uh you know it's just a, an unbelievable, an unbelievable tale.
3: It, it really
1: is.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, sir. And anytime you'd like to come back, let us know.
1: Well, I'm gonna come back and then read just the one of the speeches that um, that the uh, the head has in the character. I say character because I don't know if it's gonna be available when I shoot. Uh, one of the speeches that he gives that is one of my favorite ones, speaking up about the veterans. So I had to prepare it prepared for you just in case.
0: Oh, if you'd like to read it, we'd love to hear it.
1: Oh, okay. Well, let me set the thing up for you right quick then. What happens is that with the win of, of the restaurant, getting ready to have a, a bite to eat, and uh, my character is feeling bad about the fact that, um, that my is, the PTSD is affecting me again. And so uh, and I start talking about the war all over again, and Ed Ross says, look, listen, Jim. All of that stuff in the past is great I've heard you talk about the war How your Lieutenant Schenck was the most fearless man you ever saw, etc, etc Now as an old Air Force Captain who still wouldn't mind taking To the air one more time I hate to be like the rest of the country All that stuff is just just Yesterday's news, nobody cares About what you went through, what I went through How many bombs i dropped on towns and villages Acts I still fret over By the way Oh, they give a little lip service here and there, but most don't care about what any of us went through. And we're still going through it. Even in Washington, look around. Does anybody remember these guys, these old folks that you see them sitting around in this bar here? Do they care about them? They're nothings. We are nothings. Veterans. That's all, and that's it. And remember, you were in Korea, and Korea didn't throw anybody's vote in the first place. Just like my war, it was war fought within a heron's breast of World War II, a great war that had a real enemy. World War II had purpose. It had a national cause. It produced great leaders, great songs, patriotic hoopla, commitment. Your war, my war, and every war since to include this for, for, to include this present war produced what? It produced nothing. <laughs> and then we go on to another stage.
0: Wow. Wow. I got to tell you, we got to get James McEachin back on a screen somewhere. Jeez, that is that is powerful. That is really powerful. Okay, and
1: that's not the most powerful piece of the piece. I'm saving that for later.
0: Well, yeah, you don't want to spend it all here, man. You got to save something for behind the curtain after they
1: pay <laughs> yeah. the Listen, ticket thank price. Thank you for inviting me on, and I appreciate. It. Say hi to everybody, and uh, and we'll keep on. Uh, I know that by end the screenplay up one of the speeches I end up, and that's appropriate for veterans for a uh, Veterans Day. I say. This is a speech I'm giving aboard the, uh, the USS Iowa where we're going to shoot. Uh, and it's a long speech, so I'm just going to cutting it down to the last third of it. Uh, we give thanks, we give aid, we give everlasting comfort to the American veteran, defenders of freedom. And holding dear the memory of the dead and the unaccountable, I shall further pray that none among us forget those whom I see here in this place, and then walks and then hospices the country over those who once stood call for democracy, for the person's right to speak and assemble freely, but are now moving infirmly and oft times without grace. Down the long, long corridors of duty, of honor, of gallantry, going their separate ways, silent of deeds and sacrifice, yet ever and ever in a special kind of way, they are still offering their all to stay to us all. No veterans, no democracy. No democracy. No America. Happy Veterans Day, everybody.
0: You're listening to the Tom Gully Show.
3: And uh, what's your what's your what's your radio show? Where are your radio show hosts at? Where are your radio show? shows? Where are you at? Where are you at? What's your what's your show? What's it called? Is it the podcast that's non existent? You know what? When it launches, can I be on? Can I be on? Please, 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 please. please, please,
0: Sure thing, crazy lady. Just send an email to tom at com. Boy,
3: I have never met somebody with a more self-serving, pompous, media blowhard that you give Rush Limbaugh a good name.
0: Some call you fat, some call you corpulent, others call you portly. I call you a customer and a friend for life. Come on in to Victor Newsies. If you got a fat ass, I ain't gonna say nothing about it. We'll suit you, you'll suit us. You come in to Victor Newsies, I guarantee you're gonna leave with a suit. Come on in, you'll save a ton at Victor Newsies. I ain't bullshitting. Victor Newsies, Highway 5, out by the mall. like to thank james mckeechin for his service to our country and for taking the time to speak with us go to the purpleheartmovie.us to learn more about his film and the story behind it and thanks to all our veterans everywhere and their families for all they do for our country folks we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various facebook pages trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here we'd appreciate it if you'd like the tom gully show not me but the show on Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. And uh, if, you, if you check it out on your mobile, make sure and request the web version because it's much more robust than the mobile version. Uh, it's where you can find everything about the show. There's the Tom Gully Show store where we sell things of great quality at bargain prices. Unless you want a shower curtain, and then we nail you for it. Um, The shower curtain was a kind of joke gift, and uh, people actually buy them. Who buys a $50 shower curtain? Stop that, or I'll take it down. I'm leaving the oven mitts. The oven mitts actually sell pretty well, considering they're oven mitts. And we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free because if it's free, it's for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka as well, so I can increase my clout and cred ratings. Because if I get enough points, baby, we're all going to go to the aces. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later each night. Jay Johnson takes us in with the Truth Wagon. Go to JayJohnsonMusic.com, and each night we take you out, except for when Jenny Devoe's on the show. Uh, to the Catch-22 Blues by the Hitman Blues Band. Go to hitmanbluesband.net or hitmanbluesband.com. If you go to the .net address and sign up for their email list, which is very non-invasive, I don't think I've, I've gotten more than one per month ever, you get eight or nine free blues songs from these guys, and one of them you'd be glad to have. So do that. Tell them Tom sent you. And we will see you next time.
1: Well, the bug can't lift a twig, for a dog is nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, or a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night, while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want you.
3: You can see it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies.